0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conversations with the Co-op. This is where we source questions from the Index Co-op community to gain insights from today's leaders in crypto and DeFi. I am your host, Crypto Texan, and today we have with us the Index Co-op's very own Thomas and Kiba, who are the methodologists for the Data Economy Index. Uh, Guys, thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thanks for the invite.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we'll just start off just kind of very broad and general, just get some background on the two of you. How did y'all get into crypto? And then also, how did y'all find your way over to the Index Cooperative? Yeah, so I got into crypto through data science.
2: And let's see, so that would have been back in 2015. I was teaching myself data science on the internet. I just left my job at Amazon and was competing in online data science competitions. And uh, there was this one that was doing stock market competitions, it's called Numeri. And I was doing these competitions and that's actually how I earned my first Bitcoins. And at the time it was like a real distraction. And I was like, what is this? Having to sign up for a Coinbase account, uh, it's kind of a pain, It's not really worth my time. But they ended up having a token launch later. I was included in the token launch and that just like hooked me. I ended up diversifying during the big 2017, uh, crypto bull market and I've just been hooked on it and on it ever since. And I've been investing, um, over the years,
1: um, found index co-op in what have been late
2: 2020, uh, I'd been working as a data science manager for the past two years, this company called Precision Lender in North Carolina, and I was looking for something that kind of merged my interests in data science uh, with crypto and investing and uh, building index products um, that were accessible to anyone in the world seemed really exciting
0: to me. And that's what really pulled me into index cooperative. Okay, great. Kiba, what about you? So
3: my introduction to crypto was in 2017 and I was living in New York City and I kept running into these people from this weird company called Consensus, and they're all really cool. And so while I'm talking about crypto and Ethereum, like all these interesting things that you could do on it, like community currencies and um, like commons based projects and all this. So I started doing research and then I just thought it was a good investment. Um, I'd been investing in stocks since I was like 18. So I was like, oh, this seems like a good thing. But it had gone up, like, whatever, 100% in the, that month. So I was like, okay, might as well put some money in this. And then kept hanging out with people from Consensus more and more. And I ended up joining Consensus by, like, mid-2018 as a software developer, working on the website and things like that. And, yeah, after that, I was, like, basically hooked. And the first token I bought was Chainlink in 2017 because as a developer, it just made a lot of sense as it kind of being like the API for smart contracts was kind of like my original thinking behind it. And uh, that was like the first token that I got hooked on. I was in the link brain for a while. And then uh, how I got into index co-op was I had been applying to token sets to be a social trader since like mid-2020 because I wanted to do this thing called the data economy index. Which was basically a way for an easier way for me to like share my investment strategy with my friends, because uh, a lot of them had been taking my advice and buying a lot of the same tokens that I was buying anyway. So I just figured it'd be a lot easier if they could just like be in my token sets, and then I could uh, do the trades for them, and then we'd be in it together instead of us like each individually doing our own thing. And then they never got back to me, but then eventually the index called spring up, which was by token sets. And it was like the, the infrastructure that I wanted to use. And it was like the same group of people I wanted to work with. And so I started contributing. I first proposed the data economy index in like October, 2020, like two or three weeks after the co-op started. Um, but we weren't launching indexes at that point and then or new products in general at that point. And yeah, now we're here.
0: Wow. Yeah, and so how did the two of y'all meet? Like how did, how did y'all get together to uh, partner on this uh, index?
2: Yeah, so Akiba had this really amazing governance post on the index co-op forums. I think it was in, it must have been like late March, early April 2020. It's called Activating Intrinsic Productivity for the DeFi Pulse Index. Uh, If you haven't, if you're in the co-op and haven't read that, you should definitely take a look at it. But it was basically uh, trying to get like yield from the tokens with inside uh, the DeFi Pulse Index and like passing those on to holders, and that's just something that extreme that really resonated with me because, um, you know, like Kiba, I was really passionate about making index products uh, for my friends and family. You know, it's it's really the my accessibility is really important to me. So I just thought, wow, Kiba seems like super smart, and independently from that, I was making my own like token set that had you know data you know data project tokens in it and i was like "Hmm, what should i name it you know something with data and i was like searching on the token sets website and i found this thing called the data economy index and then i realized it was ikeba who i already read on the governance forum and i was like i have to talk to this guy uh, so i messaged him on discord and was like hey you know i've been thinking about making an index that has you know data project kind of tokens, really love your data economy index. Like, what do you think about collaborating?
0: And kind of just went from there. Wow, that's really interesting. And so, like, have y'all met in real life at all? Because, you know, like, you've got David and Ryan from Bankless. Uh, they've, they've got, like, the one of the most successful podcasts in crypto, and they've never met in person. Have y'all? No, I've, I've never met Kiva in, in person, although I'd like to, to go hang out with him in South Korea sometime. Oh, yeah. I was just saying that it's kind of like the magic of the DeFi and the DAO and just the, the crypto space in general is that we're able to build these incredible products without necessarily meeting each other face to face. I just think that that I mean, you're just a prime example of that. So, yeah, let's move on to the, just the data economy. Um, how would uh, the two of you just define the data economy on the blockchain just very broadly?
1: but you take it. I might have, we'll probably have slightly different takes on this, but.
3: Sure. Yeah. Um, I think we've kind of come to a pretty good definition as part of creating the methodology, uh, which is basically any database product or service. And that doesn't necessarily have to be like entirely on chain. For example, like the graph hasn't been on chain as of yet. They've mostly been this like centralized platform, but they've been decentralized recently. But I think that's like a pretty good working definition. So for me, it's really just like anything that's using data as like the main value proposition or like why people are using the token or data is somehow like the product that's being sold through the platform, like ocean protocol. And I think there's like, I think you specifically
2: asked about the definition and I think like it's easy to hear the definition and not really have it tied well to like the thesis or like the idea behind it. you know, and like I mentioned, like I first got into crypto through, through Numeri, which we're working on a blog post, a deep dive on that. So we hope to have that out soon for everybody. But basically what I really see in this, this data economy space is that during the Web2 era, you had all of these different internet companies built these great, you know, products and services that we all use, you know, Gmail, Google search, Facebook. And all of them have this, you know, freemium or free model, basically, right? Like, um, and there's this expression that a lot of people have heard that it's like, um, if it if it's free, then you're the product. And so, all of these like web giants built these incredible businesses um, by giving services to users for free, essentially in exchange for their data. And so, you had these centralized companies build these data monopolies that are now worth. Trillions of dollars, and so what I really see happening in crypto and and what we're calling the data economy is that we're going to see the benefits of that data given back to users um, through these decentralized technologies.
0: Yeah, but thank thanks both of you for those uh, for those definitions. That's really helpful, especially when we go into this next question, which is, what is the data economy index?
3: So basically, it's an ETF or uh, like a diversified portfolio, much like DeFi pulses or DeFi industry or um, MVI is for like metaverse platforms, and we're focusing on this data economy for crypto crypto based data economy, um, and basically it's just a, a very simple token where you can purchase it and then you can automatically get exposure to. we have seven different asset tokens in there. I think we changed it right before launch. And then basically you're getting exposure to like a lot of the biggest projects within crypto that haven't really been captured by any other index core product, like Chainlink, Filecoin, the graph, Ocean
1: Protocol, and like a lot of these like very widely used data services that just
3: don't really fall under any other like thesis or category um, that are all part of this data economy. And yeah, that's the, that's the basics of it. And then um, me and Thomas are the methodologists, so we're the ones that are creating overall um, methodology for the index. Uh, and we rebalance every three months. All the other index products rebalance every one month, but we're doing it quarterly instead of monthly. And so we'll be looking at a lot of different tokens that are like on other chains. Um, for example, Filecoin is not based on Ethereum. Um, we're looking at like weave, Handshake, and a lot of other of these data based products that actually don't live on Ethereum because Ethereum is more like a compute platform um, and data is just like a very different type of service um, than like a generalized computer. And so you see a lot of Ethereum based projects that are using these other platforms like IPFS or um, like Chainlink that don't necessarily live on Ethereum because Ethereum is just not built for it. But these other platforms within the data economy are purpose built for data and so we think that's a very unique value proposition for this index compared
2: to other products by the co-op. And I'd, I'd really emphasize that, yeah, we kind of say the data economy index is data centric chain agnostic. You know, I think I think what we're seeing is Ethereum is becoming this like, global financial settlement layer and, you know, set protocol or token sets infrastructure, which is what the data economy index is built on, is, is built on Ethereum but all a lot of these data data projects are are either their own their own chain like filecoin or or they're you know chain agnostic meaning you know they can be on solana or polygon or arbitrum um, and so we really see this as as the first multi
0: chain index built on ethereum yeah that's interesting something that i i noticed just kind of in all the tweets that you and kiba have put out about the data economy is that a lot of these projects, not necessarily the ones that are in the data economy index right now, but potentially in the future, a lot of these products are on their own layer one or, or, or on a different blockchain or are chain agnostic, like you said. Why, why do y'all think that is the case specifically for the data economy as opposed to you know something like the metaverse? Well, I guess like even the metaverse index, like Axie Infinity does have their own Ethereum sidechain, but why why do you think that's the case in regards to the data economy on the blockchain? Yeah, I mean, I think
2: you can look at, um, I think the really maybe obvious one is you look at something like uh, Filecoin, which is like decentralized storage, right? So you you can really compare that to like, you know, a Web 2 cloud service provider like AWS or Azure or Google Cloud. And instead of like a single company, like owning this network, you know, it's, it's a data storage network, but we all know that Ethereum, you know, cannot store like gigabytes per block. And so you need a different, a different chain to do that.
0: And so you get, you know, these, it's like application specific chains, right? Like data storage should be its own application or should have its own chain. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess I guess it's really just related to the bandwidth of what Ethereum can handle and its its block sizes. Is that what you're getting to? There's guess,
3: just, just within the EVM construct itself, like storage is meant to be expensive. But I would say like another additional thing is a lot of times you want your data to be private. Like if the data is public, then it probably loses a lot of its value. And a lot of times it can't be public, like let's, let's say like healthcare records or something like that. Um, Where you might want to use the data, you might want to sell the data, but you can't make the data necessarily public. And so you you have things within like Ocean Protocol, like um, compute to service, I think is what they call it, where a lot of the data is stored off chain and private service. You never actually get access to the data, but they allow you to run your AI models on the data itself without ever actually exposing it. So in order to keep a lot of the value of the data, a lot of times it's important to keep it private, um, which is just obviously not possible when keeping it on a public blockchain. You know, maybe this doesn't necessitate needing its own
2: L1 chain, but I think you know this might be obvious to some people. But most of the world's data does not live on blockchains, so then you also need you know solutions like Chainlink to bring off-chain data into blockchains or at least accessible to blockchains.
0: Yeah, that makes yeah that's that's helpful. That makes sense too. And so with the data economy index. Uh, one of the things Kiba mentioned was that the rebalancing is three months, which is a, a slight break from the norm, I guess, from the other indices that we have put out, where, you know, the rebalancing is one month. I guess, what, what other are some of the more interesting things that the two of you came across when you were trying to build out the methodology for the data economy index? And, like, why are, like, I guess another question is why did y'all uh, decide to do three month rebalancing versus a one month, and what other, I guess, nuances are are there or differences uh, between the methodology for data economy index and uh, the other ones that we have?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the the three month or quarterly rebalancing that's actually like an industry standard outside of um, crypto. Like, if you look at most index products, they rebalance quarterly, but I think that I think that does a few things. Like, one, it just like makes it easier to like operate the the index, like for the index cooperative. But but another thing it, it does, you're kind of trading off two things. You're potentially getting less projects, new projects faster into the index. So like if you're having a lot of new eligible products come out like every month, then you're not capturing them as quickly as you would. So maybe that's a drawback, uh, but another benefit is if you have, say, like one particular project just really uh, outperform everything else, you're actually not immediately selling it. So uh, let's say, you know, Ocean Protocol 10Xs over the course of three months. Well, if you're rebalancing monthly, you're actually gonna be uh, potentially selling, selling a lot of that token after the first month into the other tokens
3: rather than holding it as it, you know, moves up substantially. Yeah, Kiba, do you, have any, do you have any comments on that? Um, nothing on rebalancing quarterly. I think Thomas covered it, but just some other things that we came across when we were constructing the, the methodology um, was just that it was kind of, it's actually hard to find tokens that are really liquid because all of them are utility tokens. So Numerai, for example, um, it's one of the most highly utilized tokens with on any Ethereum platform. Like, almost all the tokens are actively being staked. They're in current supply. Um,
1: and a lot of the tokens just aren't integrated into DeFi, so liquidity just isn't important. Like
3: excluding Chainlink, none of them are really listed on any platforms. They aren't. They aren't in like farming, um, like farming lists. already we call them like DeFi farms. So in general, just getting liquidity or tokens that have liquidity was a, a difficult issue to come across.
1: Yeah,
2: and I think that's like an ongoing challenge that. We're working through, but it's not even that these tokens don't have liquidity. It's, it's like the 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 ratio of their on-chain liquidity to off-chain liquidity is just massive. Like, you know, if you go on like Coin Market Cap, you know, Filecoin has like 1.8 billion dollars of trading volume, you know, across centralized exchanges, but it's it's a tiny fraction of that on decentralized exchanges. So that's an ongoing. Uh, interesting problem that I hope
0: that we can help solve. Yeah, that's interesting. It's something I hadn't thought about. And I guess that's that this feels very specific to the data economy index as well. So the data economy index launched with, I guess, in its genesis with seven assets. And I kind of just want to go through these seven assets just very quickly. I don't want to spend too much time on it and just maybe just if y'all could just very quickly describe what the what the project does and maybe if there is uh, an analog or a real world equivalent that you know the listeners can compare to, if y'all could just kind of define that out as well. Uh, and so we'll just we'll just go through the list here. Let's start with Chainlink. What is it and what does it compare to? So for me, I think the
3: easiest example or like analogy for Chainlink would just be serverless functions. Um, for, for smart contracts. So, just this function that you can call um, and it would extract whatever data that you need um, within the custom adapter. So, if you need to fetch a price, if you need to get like a, a random number, if you need to uh, really do like any sort of computation very easily and very cheaply, while also having it be secure to an extent, um, I think that's
2: the, the main use case of Chainlink at the moment. And I just add that like I think all of the projects in the data economy index and, and the ones that are being considered next, they're actually either using crypto economics to create a data monopoly where one did not exist before. So I think Chainlink is a great example of that. Or they're actually
0: disrupting an existing monopoly in the Web2 world. Yeah, I think if you, if you look at Chainlink, it's really hard to find a real world analog uh, comparison there, but Cuba, I think you did a great job, uh, describing that. Uh, okay. And let's go to, you know, we'll talk about the RenFill aspect of it, uh, in a little bit, but let's talk about Filecoin. Um, same questions.
2: Yeah. And I think, yeah, Filecoin like the, the analog there is your, your cloud service providers, AWS, uh, Azure, uh, Google cloud. And I, I think this is like, this is one where, like when you're thinking about like what is the potential of the data economy and you're comparing it uh, to the Web2 world. I mean, AWS alone is worth, like as a business, this was 2019, is worth more than JP
1: Morgan is today. And that was before Amazon went on this crazy tear and is now worth like
2: two or three X what it was then. Um, you know, and, and Filecoin is worth a tiny fraction of those,
0: those three uh, you know, cloud providers combined. So just, just massive potential. Yeah. It almost makes it seem like data is the new currency, uh, in a, in a sense, you know, if it's eclipsing banks, uh, in total market cap, AWS compared to JP Morgan. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, okay. What about the graph?
3: Yeah. I don't think there is like a direct analogy for the graph as far as like a service that's being provided to third parties, but, um, obviously like Google search is indexing the entire internet so I guess that's probably the best example
2: um, or they just have all of the information and can query it for anything you might want to know about the blockchain. I think That's that's an interesting one too because uh, this is something that Kiba and I have talked about a little bit with our thesis but you know you think of Google search as very much like used by humans you know like oh I need to go and query something and the graph like very much more used by like robots or smart contracts and so it, you know the graph like they published this thing recently where the growth in the graph's queries over time is actually exceeding Google's graph in its early days by a very material amount
0: um, and i think and i think that makes sense if it's you know you know robots or or programs that are are using the graph rather than people yeah that's an interesting uh, differentiation that you just laid out there uh, yeah, let's move on to the basic attention token or bat. what What is that?
2: yeah, so this is this is one that a lot of people don't get. Uh, and I think like people get get like overly, I don't know like overly concerned about like tokenomics. you know maybe maybe people disagree with that, but to to me, it's like it's just obviously going after Google's monopoly, especially around search. you know the whole idea of you know you can basically monetize. Users' attention and actually give that value back directly to the users, basically, you know, for viewing ads. So it's like in Google, you view ads, and that money goes to
1: to Google, and in basic attention token, it goes back to the holders of
0: BAT. Yeah, and I know that BAT it, it does tie into the Brave browser. Uh, how does it tie into the Brave browser also? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's
2: basically the Brave browser. It's a variant of like Chromium, what Google Chrome is based off of, and so as you, um, they're basically able to as you, uh, you know, look at various things. You basically give your attention to various websites. Those various websites um, are rewarded with the BAT token, and you and you as a user are rewarded in the BAT, in the BAT token for giving your attention. So
0: you know we'll be going into like all of these things too in more detail in a, in a series of blog posts that we're working on. And uh, the Lifepeer token, this one is incredibly interesting to me. I've I've recently started doing a, l- a little bit more research on it, but I, I got airdropped LPT like randomly back in twenty eighteen, and it's just kind of been sitting in my cold storage um, <laughs> for that entire time. Um, what what's the story behind uh, Lifepeer and and yeah? What does it do? Where do the comparisons to the real world? I forget
3: the name of the service on AWS, but basically, LivePeer is about uh, video streaming. And so I guess maybe you'd think of it like Twitch, maybe, um, where there's like people, it's a decentralized network for like processing videos and broadcasting them and
1: transcoding them. So I don't think there's a good directly, unless it's a good developer tool,
3: I don't think there's a service that most people would be familiar with that. You can compare live here to.
0: Okay, so it's not like a a YouTube in any sense, is it?
3: It's not. It's not like an interface where you would go to to view videos. It's more like the backend infrastructure for like how you're processing videos.
0: Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, and uh, let's move on to the Ocean Protocol. So Ocean is a data marketplace.
1: An analogy in the real world to Ocean Protocol. Where do you go
3: to buy and sell data? I don't know. As far as I know, there's not really a place where you go to do that. So, again, like not really an analogy to the real world. Um, a lot of the data brokering services are kind of a black box. I mean, there's there's actually the black market where people sell a ton of data. That's probably the best example that I know of that I've used. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of the data that gets sold in the current data economy, the Web2 data economy, is like, uh, it's no one really knows who's buying and selling. There's like all these agencies and, um, third parties, brokerages that are selling data between themselves privately. Yeah, that's, that's definitely super true. I mean, you know, in my last
2: job as a data scientist, just, you know, reading through all these various things, you, you basically see corporations and I don't know about governments necessarily, but there's so many like data sharing agreements or, um, or just even like selling the rights to data
0: from various, you know, companies. So that's like a huge thing. And, you know, if you could actually imagine a marketplace rather than kind of this like, almost like, uh, I wouldn't call it almost like private markets, like public markets instead of private markets, I think there's huge potential in that. Yeah, I can definitely see the potential in something like Ocean uh, in that regard. And then, okay, our seventh and final inclusion in the data economy index, the protocol that got our very own thomas into uh crypto uh, numeri thomas you want to explain that one for us yeah
2: yeah and i'm still a still a numeri holder this is actually going to be uh the first uh blog post in our series is going to be on numeri uh numeri so like in some sense it's it's building a hedge fund like that's pretty pretty analogous to lots of things that have been done before but what it's trying to do is create a data monopoly through network effects uh, no hedge fund In history, has ever harnessed the power of network effects. This is why you see, you know, Bridgewater, the largest hedge fund in the U.S., is still only one percent of actively managed assets, whereas you know, some, you know, Facebook is like seventy percent share of uh, social networks. So Numerai is is trying to, you know, bootstrap a network of data providers, data scientists, and uh, traders to basically create a network hedge fund, and. That is a massive opportunity. So there's four tri- over four trillion dollars of assets held in in hedge funds globally. So if you got something like you know Facebook's market share of social networks in a in a in a single hedge fund, you're talking about 70 percent of four trillion dollars. What like three trillion in AUM? It's so it's a crazy huge uh, opportunity.
0: Yeah, and I uh, I was listening to Bankless podcast a couple weeks back, and they had Kathy Wood from Ark Investments on, and she was talking uh, very highly of Numerai and just uh, just the innovation going on there, and, and the like you said the network effects that they can apply to a hedge fund. I think that's it, it's an incredibly interesting protocol, and I'm excited to read that blog post that y'all do when it when it finally does come out. Um, so with all these tokens that are included in the in the index and in, in the smart contract. Um, The index co-op uses the index tokens that we hold uh, for meta governance, uh, which means that we get to vote on proposals, governance proposals of other protocols. Can you just for the audience explain what meta governance is? And I know that there are some protocols that allow for smart contracts to vote in the governance proposals and some that do not. Can you explain to us which of the underlying data assets allow for this type of governance uh, with the index token and which ones do not?
2: EBA's Twitter handle is metagov.eth, so he gets to answer this. Yeah, I'm actually on the index co op meta governance
1: committee, so I'm probably the right person to ask. Uh, so basically, meta governance is yeah,
3: using, as you said, the tokens within index co op's products to then vote on the, the protocols. Themselves, So index holders get to vote on OV governance, even though they don't have OV tokens, they have index tokens. So index tokens can vote on OV, basically, and any other token within DP. Also MVI, uh, I think most of them are also governance tokens to an extent. Um, within the data economy
1: index, uh, all of the tokens are primarily utility tokens, not governance tokens.
3: So they're used to actually like access... Uh, services within the platform, not necessarily vote on what the platform is. Um, the two exceptions at the moment are Ocean Protocol and Numerai, but those are both fairly new to having DAOs, and the DAOs aren't fully developed as of yet. Numerai, their DAO just launched, what was it, in like May, Thomas, or something
1: like that? Yeah, I think it was like March this year. Yeah, and uh, same for Ocean Protocol. The Ocean DAO, at the moment, I think they just give out grants. I
3: don't think they're in charge of development of the protocol or anything like that. Um, so I, I don't think meta governance is as big of a, a value add for the data economy index uh, so far as it is for DPI.
0: Okay, that's interesting. And so with this big trend in DAOs currently, in the space, do you see other data-related protocols adopting a DAO structure for governance? I
2: think you and I will probably both have different answers for this. I mean, I think uh, at least in their current model, you know, DAO governance is almost—it's it's very similar to like corporations, right? Like token holders, you know, very equivalent to shareholders in this sense you know, maybe they're missing the, you know, the board of directors and the executives. But whereas I think a lot of the stuff that's going on in the data economy is like, you know, like Kita said, it's like utility token or or like work tokens. You'll hear that a lot. Yeah, and it's more like, yeah, literally like a public utility. And, And I don't know that it's even a good thing for them to become governance tokens. Like, I don't know that that's a desired feature given that governance is very capturable um, so I, I feel like I really much go by the mantra like governance is a is a bug not a feature um, and I think like if you ever go on this website crypto rating council so this is like uh, something a lot of um, the exchanges made in the US things led by Coinbase Kraken and, and a few others you go on there and they they give like a rating of each you know token um, from like one to five you know one is like the least likely to be uh, considered a security by uh, you know, the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States, and five is like the most likely. So, you know, you get like Ripple's currency, like XRP is like a four, Bitcoin is like a one, and you actually see these, a lot of these data economy tokens like uh, BAT and Numeri, they're actually like a two, which is like the same as the Ethereum, which is the same as Ethereum's token, and you see a lot of the like DeFi tokens is having a much higher rating, you know, not as bad as Ripples, but closer to that.
0: Well, wow, yeah, Kiba, what are your what are your thoughts there? I I think I have conflicting opinions
3: um, within myself. Uh, so I think like DAOs are going to eat the world, and DAOs are kind of like the newest and the next generation of how humans will organize. So it's probably like very effective for a lot of these protocols to use DAOs. But yeah, at the same time, like Thomas, I think governance is, governance is a bug and having ungovernable protocols to an extent is a lot safer and more secure and have a lot more utility um, because they can't be controlled, which is usually a good thing. So maybe there'll be like DAOs, like the actual protocol itself will eventually like solidify and it won't have any more changes to it to an extent. Um, but then there'll be other DAOs that pop up that might do various um, either like development for interfaces or they create like whatever investing groups into um, new projects that are building on top of the protocol or what have you. So I could really see it going either way for a lot of the tokens.
0: Okay, interesting. And so with the majority of these uh, tokens in the index being utility tokens, as y'all have described them, I'm just wondering uh, what kind of utility or what are some interesting use cases for these tokens specifically or just some to kind of catch your eye? Like, are they being staked uh, with the risk of being slashed if they're a bad actor, similar to ETH 2.0 staking? Or how are these tokens being used throughout the various protocols? Yeah, I mean, I think
2: a lot of them use uh, staking. And staking on, like, each protocol is just, like, uh, very different right so very different for the graph versus live peer uh, versus Numeri you know and all of them you know you can you know earn more of that native token or have some burned if like you don't do a desirable outcome so like actually like you know Numeri for instance it's actually data scientists that they submit a model based on, uh, on numerized data set and they stake their money to the to the to the model to signify their confidence so if i think i've built like the best model in the world then i i'm going to be very confident and i stake a lot of money on that well if Numerai the hedge fund uses my model to make trades in the stock market based on that and it doesn't perform well then i'm going to lose a lot of my stake because i was really
1: confident and i was wrong whereas if I was less if I said eh, like I'm not as confident in this then I would have lost less money so it's it's the the expression of your
0: conviction coupled with how correct or wrong you are <laughs> that determines if you earn more NMR tokens or you have them burned okay interesting Cuba uh, do you have any uh, that kind of catch your eye that you think are really interesting even if they're not included in the data economy index specifically hmm they're not included, too. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I also think
3: Numeray is, is pretty awesome. It's basically like a massive prediction market, um, an ongoing prediction market that's weekly on the stock market. So I find that pretty fascinating. I think Ocean Protocols is also pretty cool. Staking for Ocean Protocol is actually through liquidity pool tokens on Balancer. So someone creates a dataset, they say like, okay, I can sell this data to you, they create a token, and then they create a liquidity pool and balancer with the ocean token and this data token. And then anyone that wants to use the data, they can go and buy um, the data token with using ocean. So the data provider is staking ocean to the dataset, but then also anyone else can stake to the dataset if they think that it's valuable. So it's a way for, basically it's a curation mechanism. If I know this data provider or look at this data set and I think it's going to be very useful, I can stake my Ocean tokens to it. And then I can earn either swap fees from people that are buying the token to then use it. Or I can basically invest into data sets because if I think other people are also going to stake to it, they essentially have to buy it and therefore increase the price. And so then I can invest early into certain data tokens and then exit at a higher price and earn more ocean. So I think that's also a pretty cool model. um, I'm excited to see
1: how that develops over time. And then another token
3: that's not including the data economy index that I really like their technology um, overall. I think it's pretty fascinating is Film Protocol, which is basically like a decentralized GPS service. And they use basically staking as a way to incentivize people to explore different neighborhoods and create geographic data on the protocol. So I think that's just like a pretty cool use case. And I've seen a lot of interesting proof of concepts. I guess you could say they're not like full-on products where people are trying to use Foam as like community-based uh, engagement tools where you can just invite people to your neighborhood or you can create as like a neighborhood um, engagement tool or incentivization mechanism. So I think that's also a pretty cool token
0: model. Yeah, that is cool. That's something I'm going to need to check out, uh, phone protocol, okay? Um, and so still kind of on the subject of tokenomics, uh, the majority of these tokens in the Data Economy Index are ERC-20 tokens on Ethereum natively. Um, with, with the exception of Filecoin, uh, the Data Economy Index is using RenFill, which is a file coin that's bridged over to Ethereum using the Rin protocol. The Rin protocol is included in the Defi Pulse Index. Just a fun little note there. Uh, can you explain the process in the partnership that y'all have developed with the Rin protocol and consensus in uh, bridging Filecoin over to Ethereum for this data economy index? Yeah, so we
3: got in. We were looking for different ways to include Filecoin, first off, and then uh, the most liquid version was uh, REN File, And so we got in contact with the consensus team, who uh, were the people that are operating that particular bridge. And through the consensus, then we got in touch with the Filecoin team, who were also very supportive of the data economy index, and were very helpful in helping us with liquidity. And we also helped then get a REN file on the Sushi Onsen menu to help incentivize more liquidity for the token. But we only got in contact with REN protocol actually, I think after or right before the token launch. So uh, we didn't actually work directly with REN protocol as part of the process of launching the index, but we're hoping to be more close to engage with them um, and like the ongoing inclusions of other tokens. But it was, it was a pretty cool process because we also learned a lot about Ren protocol, which is included in CPI and how they, how they operate their bridges. Um, You can do a lot of cool stuff with them. Apparently like you can automatically kind of include transaction data within the bridging mechanism. So if you want to bridge over your file coin to Ren file coin on Ethereum, Um, In that bridging process, you can tell the REN nodes to also automatically deposit your REN file in the Sushi liquidity pool or automatically swap your REN file token for the data economy index once it's bridged over. Or you can do really a lot of cool things uh, with the REN VM. So we're pretty excited for that partnership going forward.
0: Okay. And so uh, yeah, using this type of technology or in these bridges, like which other non Ethereum native assets could be included in the data economy index uh, going forward or or which ones I guess are maybe in the methodology but not necessarily in the index quite yet
2: yeah I think I think there's like three that are really top of mind for us right now and it's uh, Arweave Helium and Handshake so all of those you know they're their own their own blockchain with their own use case And and I think like you know, at least for me, I've been looking looking a little more closely at Arweave, you know, like Filecoin, it provides decentralized storage and, you know, what's really interesting about that one in particular is just the, the like, explosion of NFTs is actually, like, fueling Arweave's growth, right? So, like, NFTs on Solana are, are just making up, like, an inordinate amount of Arweave storage. So, like, you know if you're bullish on like NFTs and the, the growth of that sector which which I am especially for use cases outside of you know crypto art then then it would make sense that you're also
3: bullish on the the underlying infrastructure that supports it i'll just add that you don't have to use renfile just for l1 tokens so we could theoretically if there is like a really popular token on cosmos or on solana or something we can bridge like some arbitrary token on some other base platform. We don't just have to bridge L1 tokens using run protocol.
0: Oh, interesting. And I think that's
2: pretty, pretty likely, like, you know, further down the line is like, I think you're going to see tons of, you know, new, I don't know, like
0: apps built upon, upon these data economy projects. Wow. That's, that's interesting. And uh, so let's, Let's move to, uh, you know, similar to the same vein as uh, Kiva's post, uh, I I guess it was about a year ago, about activating intrinsic value in the the DeFi Pulse Index, which I I remember reading that too, by the way. I meant to mention that earlier. Since uh, data does have some underlying tokens that can be utilized, since they are utility tokens, is there any plans maybe in the future, like for the graph as an indexer or staking link uh, whenever that's? Uh, available? Are there plans to allow holders to take advantage of various passive income uh, generation strategies within the index?
2: I'll do a short answer and then I'll let Kiba answer uh, more in depth. Um, But short answer is yes. And I mean, I just really see it as, as critical to the success of just index products and crypto in the long term, right? Like, there's a lot of benefits you get from from an index like exposure so that you're not missing out on you know a specific the growth of a particular sector. And I think that's something that we're that we're doing really well right now with the data index and DeFi Pulse index. Uh, you're also getting potentially, depending on your jurisdiction, tax advantage, right? You know, you're only paying you know, capital gains tax or whatever when you when you sell the index, not from the underlying transactions within the index. Um, but like something that we're missing is, is yield, right? So like, you know, if you're a graph holder, you know, why, why buy an index when you can stake the graph and get whatever your 10% APY is or on life here, I think at one point it was 30%. So, so we need to make these like
3: passive, passive indices, be able to capture that staking income, I think for them to be viable in the long term. Yeah, Keep it. What, yeah, what are I your thoughts there? Um, I definitely agree on like, the tax efficiency basis and also that there's not as much reason to hold an index product if you can also be earning double-digit, triple-digit APYs, who knows what, um, on the individual tokens. So I think interesting productivity is definitely a necessity, especially if the cult wants to like really live by or be the best crypto-based indexes. I don't think the main reason why the DPI proposal didn't go through was because people were afraid of it being deemed uh, a security by the United States government. And so I think if you're constraining yourself by um, regulation, then that's really not the best crypto product. So in order to be the best crypto indices, you have to really have intrinsic productivity within the index. And for the data economy index specifically, um, I think having intrinsic productivity is actually a really has a really cool flywheel effect that I don't know if that ex- it exists for DPI and MBI, but basically if we can do native staking, like if we can stake to a chain link node, if we can stake to a graph indexer, and not just like whatever deposit them on av or some more basic form of yield, um, but if we can actually do like active protocol staking then Uh, A lot of these protocols kind of have a... If you have like more of a larger stake on your node, then you can also get more jobs. You have basically more economic bandwidth on the protocol. And so kind of a little bit like staking, but like not quite the same. Um, Like for Chainlink, if someone wants to do a really valuable job, they might require you to have whatever, a million Chainlink tokens staked, and not everyone will be able to have that many tokens staked. So the people that do have that many tokens will be able to service those particular jobs as well as all the other jobs. Um, so you'll be able to earn a lot more just by having more tokens. And I think that's a really cool flywheel effect for the Data Economy Index, because then if you have these nodes that are earning more money than everyone else, that means you have a higher APY on the Data Economy index's node, which means that we can provide more APY to our index holders,
1: which
3: means that there's more of an incentive to invest in the index product instead of buying the individual tokens yourself, which then means we have more tokens, which means we have more economic bandwidth to earn more money, which means we have higher APYs. Um, So I think that's a really cool flywheel effect, which I don't think is possible in any other index call product, but there's obviously a lot more risk with it being native protocol staking and you have to run all this infrastructure and serve uptime and all that stuff. So it is quite complicated i think that's eventually like the the biggest opportunity that we could possibly have i think is activating that flywheel initially of course we're probably just going to deposit link on whatever you're in, you're involved to something like that um but in the long term I, I think that's our strategy
0: okay okay yeah thanks for thanks for sharing that so in the news rate recently there's been some major outages of uh, some centralized services on the internet like uh, facebook and instagram specifically So with these type of major outages uh, shining a light on centralized services uh, that underpin key parts of the Internet, uh, do you see a bigger focus on alternatives? Like, I guess, where do you see adoption happening the quickest in the data economy space? Uh, Is there anyone or any fund that is looking at these and saying, this is a much better alternative and we need to get behind this now. I mean, I think
2: like, you know, I think something that's just like, you know, a big theme of the entire crypto space generally, right? Is decentralization, you know, like in the current era that we're in, we basically have incredibly dysfunctional institutions, you know, in the West, like in the United States, just looking at like the COVID response, for instance, Right. So like all of the most effective institutions in the West are companies. They're not decentralized. And in the East, you know, especially like China, you know, there isn't really like, uh, the, you know, the government basically owns, you know, their cloud infrastructure. So like some the project like Filecoin is actually substantially more attractive, uh, to people that are in, you know, countries where the government has a lot more control over, over companies. Um, but I, I don't know that I see like the uptime, you know, or outages as like really like a serious, serious thing that makes people like turn to these decentralized technologies over the centralized ones. I really think it's kind of these, these other like social or political issues, you know, that really necessitate these technologies. Yeah. Just add on, um, I would just say there's. It's probably just gonna happen all over the place with the data economy index because there's so many
3: different components to the to the internet and to the web technologies that are being composed within the data economy index. So, like Filecoin, Chainlink, the Graph, like these, they're all providing very
1: different services, and a lot of times the same app might be, or the same DApp
3: uh, might be using all three of them or many different ones in conjunction So, um, and you can also you don't even need to use them for dApps like IPFS is being used by Netflix um, and things like that so they might not all be happening necessarily within the crypto economy but a lot of these technologies are being widely adopted already and I think they're going to happen all over the place within all the different tokens at once Um, within the DeFi Pulse Index like a lot of the tokens are competing with each other like Ov with Uni and Sushi um, what have you uh, within the data economy index so far, there's no overlap between any of the services being provided, even though we have seven different tokens and they're all fairly widely
1: used, um, which I think shows how much these decentralized services are needed and
3: just how bad these like centralized problems are within the real world is that you can have so many different crypto companies that are tackling so many different problems and just have no overlap between them. Um, yet they're all within this one sector.
0: Yeah, and I guess in that same vein, Kiva, would you also say that that also means that these projects are harder to replicate than something like, uh, I guess, forking Ave or forking Compound or forking Uni. Uh, are these, yeah, are these just more difficult to fork because of the network effects? Data monopolies, yeah, hard to hard to fork.
2: Once you know, it's it's just you have you have a network effect from like the more data you have. Like Google is the classic. Google search is the classic data monopoly. Uh, I think Tesla is building the next big one in the corporate world with autonomous driving. You know, but it's just this idea that the more data you have, the better the service becomes. The more people want to use that service, the more data it gets. It's exactly like the flywheel Kiva is
1: describing with you know intrinsic productivity in the data economy index.
0: Wow. Okay. That's interesting. And if it's, you know, if it's a truly decentralized protocol, I mean, I guess it, they can have a monopoly in the sense that other, it, it can drive away other competitors. But if it's decentralized, I guess that you can't really take advantage of users as easily from a decentralized standpoint. Or maybe you can. I don't know. Not not necessarily something I've hashed out. I'm just kind of thinking out loud here on the podcast, and this is not the place for that. Uh, but, Kiwi, you were about to say something. Yeah, I was. I am kind of going to say something similar to you, um,
3: but that even though they tend towards monopolies and like, they'll tend towards like, one major platform or one major network that's doing them, um, they're all open source in a way. And the like, technologies themselves are usable without being part of the main network. So um, like I mentioned, Netflix is using IPFS. They don't have to be connected to any other IPFS nodes. Like They can use the technology without necessarily having to use Filecoin. Um, same with Chainlink. Like you don't necessarily have to use the open Chainlink networks in order to use Chainlink as a technology platform. Um, you can create. You can just run your own Chainlink node and use it for your own smart contract if you really wanted to. So I think that also lends itself to the adoption. Is that these protocols are so minimalistic, they are so customizable, and they're usable on their own. Um, but that means that eventually people are gonna have to integrate with the wider economy, with Ethereum services or what have you. And when they do do that, they're going to use the technologies that they already used, which are going to be these
0: these major platforms. OK, yeah. And I guess, what do y'all what do you think is the biggest friction that needs to be solved or addressed before these data economy or, or data on the blockchain-based uh, tech protocols go mainstream? Not, I mean, it's kind of an interesting question.
2: I think a lot of them already are going mainstream. I mean, even something like like Brave now has Brave browser now has like fifteen million users and is growing a hundred percent a year. It's so like that particular one. Like they really need to be able to, you know, they need to get the tokenomics right and have that really help them supplant Google search monopoly. And that hasn't happened yet. But I think I think the fact that they're having a hundred percent compound annual growth per year is pretty pretty encouraging. And I don't I don't think these technologies really have the same scaling issues that, you know, L1 transactional blockchains like Bitcoin and Ethereum do. But I think obviously they're going to grow along
0: as those as those technologies gain adoption, too. So I just have really just two more questions for y'all. And that is uh, so beyond storage, oracles and indexing, uh, what far out use cases have the two of you found on your data journey for blockchain technology? Uh, that you're going to keep a close eye on or what upcoming data economy related protocols are just being really ambitious and, and are catching your eye right now?
2: I think two things in particular, at least, that that I'm really excited about are I think I mean, I think like Kiva said it, like data as an asset, as a financial asset, like, you know, being able to trade data, you know, via like Ocean Protocol or something like that and And kind of something that I'm, I think both of us are really excited by is this project called uh, VitaDAO, which is basically like using, it's the first um,
1: DAO that actually owns intellectual property using an NFT. So I think that's like really ambitious
2: is seeing, you know, biomedical, biobased, biomedical research, you know, as intellectual property owned by DAOs. I think that's something that's really exciting and really interesting.
0: What are some of the more ambitious projects that y'all have discovered uh, during your research uh, that's really catching your eye right now?
3: For me, it might actually be Numari. Like I kind of knew about Numari already, but I found it I think last October. Yeah, like about the same time that the co-op started through the SmartCon Summit, which is like this chain link conference. And I was talking to people about my data economy index that, that I'd already launched at that point or that I was thinking about. And someone mentioned Numeri to me. And I was like, oh, this sounds pretty cool. And it's coming from like another a fellow Link Marine. And so I was looking into it and I was like, oh, this is really cool. So for me, it's probably Numeri. But also, over Thomas was saying like it Um I don't know if that's like directly qualifies for the data economy index, but it's definitely something that we're both very interested in as a category. And I think genetic and synthetic biology um, is definitely a, a very interesting new field and definitely has applications to data, um, like using genetics to store um, data, I think is a really big application. Um, so we'll see where that
0: goes in the future. Oh, yeah, that's really uh, Yeah, VitaDAO is definitely going to be something that I look into uh, a little bit more as well. So, guys, thanks for being on. Uh, I think this was a fascinating conversation. Uh, I really appreciate your insights in, in joining us. So I guess the, the final uh, question is, where can people go to find out more about the two of you and the Data Economy Index?
2: Yeah, you can find us at Twitter. I'm... Uh, Thomas underscore Heppner Kiba is Kiba Ghetto. and then there's also the data index Twitter which is uh, all caps data underscore index and um, obviously you can go to the index cooperative uh, website and find the data economy index there
0: alright well I appreciate it again guys uh, everyone in the audience thanks for listening this is being recorded so we'll get this out uh, in a little less than a week I hope everyone has a great rest of their week and a great weekend, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much. This has been a blast. Yeah.